Audio. This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm recording in the fancy Feral Audio studio with an awesome guest, writer, comedian, star of the show, Adam Ruins Everything. It's Adam Conover. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for coming and doing this. Oh, of course. I'm very, I'm very happy to be here. So for the, uh, the sad, uh, uh, hopeless people who have not seen your show <laughs> and don't know what the general conceit of it is, do you mind uh, laying that out for people? Sure, no problem. Uh, it's a show on, a show on True TV. Um, it's uh, uh, an educational sketch comedy show or informational sketch comedy show. I sort of uh, uh, debunk uh, common misconceptions um, uh, or, uh, or more broadly sort of tell you the, the awful truth about everything that you love. Um, and and I, the format of the show is that uh, I pop into you know, the worlds of people who are sort of going about their day and, and express a misconception or, or there's, so, there's something that they, that they misunderstand about the world that they, you know, that, that, that they sort of don't quite get that I, I sort of appear and start uh, bothering them with information. Okay. Um, <laughs> and so in, in comedy terms, I play low status to their high status. I'm giving them information, but I'm also doing it in, in kind Kind of a uh, uh, awkward, uh, uh, slightly too pushy way, and for which I am called out and, and roundly humiliated. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I, I watched a couple episodes, and obviously you play it. Nebish comes to mind. Like, uh, so yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I like. That. I've never been called a nebish, but I'm very happy to be called a nebish. <laughs> it's a. I mean, it is a compliment. Yeah. That's very clear. No, uh, I, I mean it's a, one of my favorite words. Yes. How much of that is an exaggeration of what you feel yourself? Uh, I'd say it's a it's a heightening of of how I feel myself. You know, I I think the the version of myself that I play on the show is uh, just slightly bigger, slightly more annoying, a little bit more based on how I felt earlier in my life. You know, okay. as a as a younger person, um, where you know I would often. You know, uh, I mean, I've always sort of collected information in my life, and I would sort of, you know, tell people it at parties. You know, someone brings up a, a topic. Oh, wait, I know a little something about that. You know, et cetera. Okay. And they and they, okay, well, we were we were talking here. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Et cetera. Um, oh, I just got a, a new purebred dog. Oh, well, you know the thing about purebred dogs is you know they'll die of disease. Okay, well, why did you? You know what I mean? And and so I would be criticized, uh, you know, for that for doing that. Um, and uh, you know, it was my uh, uh, idea to turn it into comedy. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like a, you know, I compare it to sort of Larry David on Curb Your Enthusiasm. You know, you're like, well, he's not like that, but he's like that. You yeah. know, um, yeah. When you gravitated toward doing that at a party, where like, if I hear a keyword and I have a fact about it, yeah, that facts coming out. Yeah, was that out of a great desire to share facts, or was that out of some of like uh, social anxiety that I think a lot of comedians <laughs> have when they're a little bit of both? You know, I, I mean, I've always wanted to share share information like that, you know, um, and to, you know, if there's, it's my belief that if there's something to be known, you should know it, you know, like there's no, there's no reason <laughs> yeah. to not know. Uh, it's always better to know is one of our mantras on the show and one of my, one of my personal mantras. Um, and then, yeah, it was also just to, yeah, to have something to say, to be a part of conversations. You know, I've, I felt for, uh, most of my life, uh, less so now, but for most of my life, I felt, you know, and I think a lot of people feel this way, but I felt it very acutely that that I was sort of like socially different from other people. Yeah. You know that that um, you know, in uh, a circle of you know five people, oh, everyone else is sort of normal and they're all getting along and they sort of get it and and they they're natural and and I'm weird and they can all tell that I'm weird and and I'm sort of like covered in an invisible ink that everyone can see <laughs> of of you know this person's like sort of not supposed to be here in a, in a way you know yeah um i i sort of felt that very strongly um and you know now i i 
feel less like that. I think comedy, really doing comedy seriously. I honestly think the thing that cured me of that was was doing stand up comedy. You know, okay. um, and and uh, when I started finally doing that seriously and going out and doing it every night of the week, you know, because it's it's about the most intensely social thing. You know, not just being on stage, but then going to open mics and talking to the other comedians and you're sort of in this social soup. And that sort of, you know, gave me a a fluency and a fluidity in social situations where, you you know, like now now I often feel, you you know, oh, oh, this person's uncomfortable. Let me put them at ease, you know, like, uh, et cetera, you know. Yeah. Um, But uh, I used to feel quite, quite the opposite. My character on the show still feels quite the opposite where it's like I want I want people to like me. But why why don't they? Maybe if I give them facts, I can, you know, et cetera. (laughs) So. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great. Yes, because so much comedy, uh, I think right now, is really about celebrating the individual mm. instead of making these larger jokes. So I feel like if you go to comedy, if you participate in stand up in particular, you only will feel like a weirdo if you start feeling more normal because everybody's like, here's how I'm a weirdo. Uh, so yeah. the only time I've ever felt like, hey, uh, I feel a little different. Am I not weird enough? <laughs> Do I need yeah. to have more neuroses and problems? No. <laughs> Do I not have invisible ink on me? Huh. I felt that I have felt that way in comedy sometimes, where sometimes you know comedians will fetishize like you know down deep down all comedians have a deep darkness, <laughs> and that's where comedy comes from. Like, well, I don't think I have a deep darkness. Am I not a good comedian? I don't know. Yeah. You know that. It, but but you know it, it's it is nice that we're you know able to talk about these differences between people and celebrate them. I think that's yeah. ultimately very good. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's. Get Get into your obsession, which is sure. really interesting because it is so directly tied to you found this truth of your identity. Yeah, you, you made it into a successful TV show. Yeah, and still, when for this podcast, we reached out to you and said, "What would you like to talk about?" Like, you, it's still the same thing, pretty much the truth, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I, I mean, I, it was either that I was like, "Well, the two things I could talk about, I could I could talk about that, or I could talk about video games." But I talk about video games on so many podcasts. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I seek it out. Uh, you know, like, oh, can I go on this? Can I go on your video game podcast? We talk about video games. That's my sort of hobby obsession rather yeah. than my you know life obsession. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So um, for you, when you say truth, yeah, what does that mean to you? Like I understand on the show it's sharing facts. Yeah. But what does truth mean to you when you say you're obsessed with it? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, I, I really am very invested in wanting to know the world as it is, you know, and in, in, uh, it's sort of the main – animating purpose of my life is to want to understand you know why things happen or why the world is the way it is in in as clear a way as i can you know yeah. um uh before i you know take action on it or before i uh uh make a statement about it, i want to make sure that i that i you know know the truth as as well as i possibly can you know and i and i don't want to an easy answer or to or to rest easily and and as to you know what what that knowledge is you know i want to i want it to be correct you know yeah um uh, as best as it can be and and uh yeah i was a uh philosophy major in college um and uh that was because you know i was as i think you know often happens in college i was sort of taken by you know big questions you know yeah. by by large philosophical questions and um uh, that's that's honestly what I wanted to do before I was doing comedy was I wanted to go to uh, grad school uh, for philosophy. I wanted to become a philosopher and you know <laughs> teach uh, philosophy at a, uh, a you know at, at university, et cetera. And but you know more than teach to do it, you know to yeah. actually actually do philosophy. 
Um, and uh, uh, I didn't <laughs> do that. Uh, but I it was it was it, it was interesting because I went to you know I went to a, a liberal arts college. I went to Bard College, which had a good philosophy department. And and you know the best thing about that school is that it really treated uh, every student as though they were engaging in the process of inquiry in whatever their field was at the same level as the professors themselves you know what I okay mean? so we, we did like um you know a senior thesis you know um so it was like a lot like a dissertation like you know i had to write a hundred page long paper on a philosophy topic you know and it was really like no you are really doing the work you know you're not like just summarizing somebody else or jumping through some hoops like what is a question you want to answer you're going to answer it using the tools of philosophy um uh, i attempted to answer the uh uh, to, to solve the mind-body problem, um, which is the <laughs> which is the question of um, whether the mind that we experience, consciousness, is the same thing as the body or not. Broadly, um, in philosophy, um, or I, I I attempted to solve it, or I attempted to you know come to a conclusion about whether or not there could be a potential answer to the question. And I really, really, really took it seriously. Um, and for some reason, I got an A- minus on it, which was devastating because I had poured my life into it for a yeah. year. I was like, what? Wh- why a minus? Like, where'd the minus? You know what I mean? I was yeah. a little bit uh, I was a little bit that. And then, and then just nobody in my life was like, I was like, I want to go to grad school. Nobody was like, you should. You know, they were like, Good. You know, there was a big difference between the two of those. Um, and so I didn't go directly into that. I, I sort of spent, you know, a summer kicking around. And then in that time, my uh, my college sketch group sort of took off. You okay. know, um, and I uh, I went into comedy, uh, which I could get into, you know, um, if we're interested. But, you know, I sort of realized, <laughs> oh, I can sort of answer I can be working with ideas in the same way um, that I wanted to in philosophy with comedy. I sort of had a little bit of an inkling yeah. of that um, when I uh, uh, when I started to make that transition. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. So yeah, I got a couple follow up questions. That, yeah. That's a, that's a, such a great story. First, I'm really curious about when you said do philosophy, which is yeah. just a great term. Yeah. Uh, what at this point is actively doing philosophy that isn't teaching? Is it writing on? Philosophy? Yeah, I mean, yes. The, uh, so philosophy is its uh, as a field is a lot like science or history or any other field where it it has a uh, you know there are people who are doing it who are trying to make progress in the field you know um, and there are you know accepted sort of like methods that one can use to do so. Uh, it's a very very unique field because. Um, Philosophers often go about it in a way that's similar to scientists in that they say, you know, here is a question that I have or here is a proposal that I'd make. Here's a thesis that I have. And and how can I go about proving it or showing it, you know, yeah. not through experimentation, but through working with ideas, you know. Right. I'm going to make an argument. And then if you accept this argument, we can move on to this argument yep. and build on it. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Now, OK, so this person has shown that X and, you know, in this prior in this prior paper, we all now agree that X. Um, so therefore, we could conclude that Y, you know, it's yeah. it, you can do it that way. The interesting thing about philosophy is that. In many ways, it seems to, and this is the problem with the field, and I've only really thought about this, you know, a decade after leaving college, but 
um, it, it often seems as though it, it it has difficulty making progress, right? Because yeah. because a, a a certain way of thinking will will uh, build up over time. You know, in a certain school, like there's the logical positivists of the 20th century who are very language focused, or yeah. like right now there's there's a big um, renaissance of cognitive philosophy, which is the synthesis of like psychology and philosophy, understanding how the brain works. But then another later group of philosophers may kick the whole sandcastle down and say that you know, hey, book number one that you guys started this with you know i don't accept any of these terms here's my argument and then they start you know building their own uh way of looking at the world um and so it 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 has a problem as opposed to science where science is able to um uh, you know, uh, uh, something that science discovered a hundred years ago, we can test it again today, and it'll still hold up. You know, and yeah. I mean, no one's no one's having to go back and you know. Sometimes there's a you know there's a paradigm shift of some sort where we where we learn that you know Newtonian physics is is overridden by you know quantum physics or whatever. Right, our right? social attitude toward the sun isn't going to change how hot it is. Yes, exactly, exactly. It's it, it, you know the anything we learn about the sun, barring the errors that we might make, yeah. you know, um, is going to be sort of permanently true. You know. Uh, philosophy uh, seems to be less stable in that way, but it is still a you know field of study that that you know people do truly inventive or uh, revelatory work in. Okay. You know, yeah. That, that, yeah, absolutely. That they can sort of make discoveries within, and that and that is what I wanted to do. Okay, but what, the interesting thing to me, um, the A minus detail is lovely, by the way, because it does <laughs> seem like that. Here's this choose your own adventure fork in the road of like maybe if I didn't get that minus, yeah. Um, but your show is talking about active applications mm-hmm. yes. of facts. Yes. Does that hold with philosophy? Like when you wrote your, your thesis mm-hmm. about the mind and body, was there ever a point where if you came to the philosophical conclusion that the mind and body are separate, is there a, and so let's all exist on the astral plane? Like, are you <laughs> going to immediately apply whatever yeah. level of truth you feel you've discovered in philosophy? Or is application just not a part of it? It's just more like, hey, do you know what? The mind and body are separate, or they're not. Bye. Sure. Well, there's certain there's cer- it depends on what field of of philosophy that you're talking about, right? Okay. Like like the example that people use most often um, that you could apply from is ethics. You know, okay. um, so and and if you want to talk about like, hey, what what kind of you know working job does a philosopher have other than teaching philosophy? Uh, bioethicists are uh, okay. you know like uh, that is an actual field. You know, they're like hospitals will have ethicists. In fact, one of the experts we had on our show, uh, this guy named Bud Hamas, um, incredible man, is uh, a real leader in the uh, field of how we deal with death, right? Okay. And and um, how doctors should deal with, you know, terminal patients differently. And, um, you know, he has this idea that you should uh, have a conversation with your doctor about what sort of choices you might want to make, you know, in the future, et cetera. Um, and he developed all this while working at um, a hospital in uh, Wisconsin, but he his training is in philosophy. Okay. Um, and so uh, he's a guy who's making real change in the world as a philosopher, you know. Yeah, um, that's awesome. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, ve- it's very, very cool work. That's in our episode, Adam Ruins Death, um, which is, I mean. <laughs> Thanks on- for ruining that. Yeah. Honestly, well, here's the, here's the funny thing. That needs to be ruined. This is, a, this is, I mean, this is maybe an example of what you're talking about because, um, you know, this, this, we did that episode in our first year and we were doing, okay, what are misconceptions people have about the world? What are misconceptions? Okay, people think about their, their pets weirdly or people think about rings you know uh about uh, diamond engagement rings that is mixed up, misconception about those but what we decided to do for our season finale is is really i was reaching what is the what is the number one biggest misconception that we carry in our lives 
it's that we're not going to die one day. You know, yeah. that that is something that <laughs> that we we fundamentally don't internalize as an idea. You know, uh, we don't believe it, you know, uh, in a deep level that that death is coming, and that it's permanent. We don't. We don't, you know, picture it, right? And it causes people to behave differently yeah. um, and in bad ways, you know? So if you don't accept that you're going to die, um, for instance, you'll be, you might chase uh, medical treatments that offer a very low chance of extending your life at the expense of worsening your quality of life, for instance. Yeah. That's a mistake that people make because they don't accept their own mortality um, or they don't plan for their deaths, right, is another is another part of that. Uh, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, to expand that idea... There's been a lot of ink spilled about the idea that, you know, of an afterlife, how that can potentially cause people, uh, if they believe in an afterlife, to devalue the world that they currently live in yeah. because of a promise in the future. It's a, a common argument made against religion that it devalues the world that we currently live in. Right. So if you're a if you're a materialist, as as I would think I uh, as I I believe that I am a materialist, <laughs> a materialist being a person who believes that all that exists is material stuff right there is not a or there is not a reason to believe that there's another plane of existence that has uh you know non-physical characteristics right? right um like there's no spirit world there's no world of consciousness there's no heaven or hell there's just like you know there is there's physical reality that is reality that is the position of materialism i i, I this is my dumb dumb version of it you know yeah i'm, I'm not teaching a class right now um but it, so if you believe that as i do then you might have a different stance towards the world that you live in you know that, that where where you you might say take a more uh utilitarian stance towards ethics where you say we want to better the better the lives of you know as many people as we can while we're here you yeah. know for example or, yeah. or um etc so um you know i think that sort of uh broad i i i think your conclusion about that could um uh, make you uh make you act differently uh, yeah i think that's a great example of application uh but i want to jump from death uh back to uh the opposite of death <laughs> your, <laughs> your youth sure um was there obviously you started on this path fairly young in order yeah. to want to do that in school yeah so was there a time where you sort of had the epiphany that a lot of people are full of shit <laughs> or that a lot of people just do live with lies? Uh, like for me, huh. when I was young, I read a bunch of Kurt Vonnegut novels and I can yeah. trace that back to like, oh, I read those because at first I thought they were like really funny and sometimes they had some sex in them. And then like, oh, but also <laughs> the harsh truth that <laughs> most of life is, you know, these structures and functions that are not entirely right. They don't hold. Uh, and, and then I started seeing that in the world, and that certainly helped my view. And I imagine that you must have had experiences in your youth where you're like, people yeah. are full of crap. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. You know, I, I don't know if I can think of like a single epiphany. You know, some of it comes out of the, you know, the changes of, of life that people go through. You know, like when people are teenagers, right? That's a that's a time where you you are sort of expected to integrate into society, but you don't yet know like why you should. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um you know, people at that age tend to tend to think really broadly and and to say, you know, well, why is the world the way that it is? You know, why yeah. why must it be this way? And then when we get a little older, we start to we start to settle into it. We say, okay, no, this is the way the world should be should be. You know, like I've I've made my peace with it and I'm here and you know what? It's fine the way it is. Um and I think I'm still I I think I just sort of relate to that period in my life the most, you know, when I like that open minded questioning, you yeah. know, time between the ages of like fifteen and twenty one. 
as as far as a moment, I, I just have this very distinct memory, and I don't know if it's as broad as, as exactly what you mean, but I, I have I have this very distinct memory of being in um, an algebra class. And uh, do you remember uh, factorial? Do you remember the, what factorial is in no, algebra? No, but I was terrible at math. <laughs> so it's a, it's a mathematical <laughs> operation. It's pretty simple. A factorial just means um, if five factorial, right, equals five times four times three times two times one. Right? Okay. Six factorial equals six times five times four times three times two. You know, a hundred factorial is a hundred ninety nine times ninety eight times ninety seven. You know, it's okay. very simple what it is. And uh, there's one exception to that. And it's zero factorial. Okay. Um, zero factorial is one. Uh, that's what I was taught in school. I raised my hand when the teacher told me that, and uh, I was like, "Why? Why is that? That doesn't make any sense." <laughs> like everything else, this is like a fundamental, you know, mathematical idea, right? Yeah. All, everything else is following this rule, uh, where. You're, you know, you've got the, you've got the starting point. You subtract one. You multiply each one by that. You don't even get to zero. Why would zero factorial be one? Why would there be a special case yeah. in math? That's not how math works. Math doesn't have. Okay, well, we're just going to fudge it over here. You know, right? It's for tax reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. And my and my teacher was like, well, that's. She was like, that's just what it is. I was living in. <laughs> I was living in. Ta- Adam, no, Adam. It's just that's what it is. Okay, we're going to move on. And I was like, I was so uh, shocked by that answer. You know, I was like, how how can you live that way? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how can you just say no? That's just what it is. Like, if I were to come across that in my life right now, you know, like right now, I'm I, I don't remember why it is. Yeah. You know, I want to look it up on Wikipedia right now. You know, if there's a like like why why. Why is it? You right. know, um, so there is like a valid mathematical reason. I'm sure obviously, that there is, but your teacher just didn't give two shits. Yeah, she didn't. She didn't give two shits, and it was just a. It was just a rule, and it was in the rule book, and so she's going to tell you what the rules are. You know, okay. Um, we live so much of our lives according to that type of rule, yeah. right? Where where it's like, hey, this is just what you do. We all know this is what you do. You know. We so rarely look into the reasons behind those rules, where they come from, why you know why they started. We so rare, we so rarely ask, do these rules serve us in yeah. any way? Do they make our lives better or not? I've just always been interested in examining why they are, and some some of the rules make sense, and some of them don't. You yeah. know, um, and uh, so those are the topics I like doing on our show the most, where. Where we're like, why, you know, why do we do it this way? Uh, like the, you know, our most famous pieces on the diamond engagement ring, you know, um, and that's just such a bedrock. We think that's a bedrock cultural tradition. Yeah. You know, you buy, you buy someone a diamond engagement ring, you get down on one knee, you know, and people do, people do that, right? Yeah. People, uh, 10,000 people have done that today. They've, they've gotten down right. on one knee and they've done a surprise. That's part of it as well. <laughs> it's, it's a surprise to do it. Terrifying. Um, and what... Why do they do it? Because they saw other people do it, you know, and because it seems nice. It's that's what a tradition is, you know. Um, but so few people know that the reason we do that tradition is because the De Beers Diamond Corporation wanted to sell more diamonds in the 30s. And they launched a massive ad campaign to invent the idea of a diamond engagement ring to make it a de facto thing. It had been done once or twice, you know, before that, you know, uh, you know, et cetera. A random drunk rich person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. A duke did it one time. you know. <laughs> um, but it wasn't an accepted part of middle class life. It wasn't something that 
that people did until they launched a massive ad campaign in order to, you know, and they set the terms of this tradition that it should be, you know, it should be two or three months salary and that, you know, this is how a man shows a woman that, you know, what she's worth to him and, and, (laughs) you know, what, what kind of ring it should be in and et cetera. And that was, that was less than a hundred years ago, you know? And, um, yeah, there, there are so many things that we take for granted in the, in the world. Um, and I've just, I don't know, I've never been interested in simply accepting them. I've always been interested in, in why, why do we do it that way? And so, you know, the stuff we've done on our show, you know, why, why do we, I love to take the aliens point of view, you know, and say like, why, why is it that in order to move around our own towns and communities, we expect every single person to buy a machine that costs fifty thousand dollars. You sorry, sorry, five figures. Is what I meant to say, not fifty thousand yeah. dollars. Cost, cost. You know, um, uh, buy an expensive machine, insure it, fill it with gas. Why is that? Why is that our transportation system? Does that is that really the most sensible transportation system to have? And why do we have it? You know, with a couple of these examples, like you're giving, like um, the engagement ring. That it, like, to me, to put my own social bias on it, because it's my comedy podcast, and I can sure. You know, there, I, I don't have any stake in losing that. Like, yeah. I think that would be great to lose that because, A, you yeah. know, it's just giving money to diamond companies. And I yeah. think it's a super weird tradition that engagements come by surprise. Like, <laughs> that's not <laughs> yes. the way you want to start a marriage. Yes. <laughs> with yes. a gotcha. Yeah. You know, um, but that's a big part of it for people. So, like, know? for me, that's like uh, an example of, from my bias, that's a great truth because yeah. it leads the world toward the direction that I want to go. Right. Now, in your show or just in your obsession with truth, have there been truths that you've encountered where you've said, all right, that's the truth. I really don't like it. <laughs> I have to accept it. I maybe even have to actively change behavior because yeah. of this this truth. Yeah, I mean there there are some that I there are some that I fight with a lot myself. You know, um, uh, we uh, and, and the thing is, it's really hard to change your behavior. You yeah. know, it, it's hard. It's easier to know the thing that it is to change your behavior. You know, we did one on how um, you know bathing every day uh, was a not as pernicious or you know, pushy a marketing creation is the diamond engagement ring, but it was, you know, m- most of our hygiene rituals were, uh, frankly, created by, you know, uh, you know, hygiene manufacturers, yeah. you know, soap, soap companies, et cetera. And so the idea of bathing once a day uh, comes from uh, soap companies. Um, and dermatologists would say you don't need to bathe once. You certainly don't need to use soap once a day. Yeah. And that, in fact, you know, it's very not the worst thing in the world, but you know, it could dry out your skin. You know, for instance, dermatologists yeah. will tell you. Um, I still feel unclean if I don't if I don't shower every day. You know, okay. I I I have that in me, and I can't get it out of me. You know, and and uh, you know, I I had friend. You know, I still have friends who are like, I only shower once every three days, and I still feel like that's a little gross. You know, <laughs> um, and I'm wrong. You know, right. I, I'm wrong in that. Um, but you know, if I don't take a shower after waking up, you know, I feel I feel disgusting. And another part of it is, you know, I. I um climate change is a really is a really uh I don't want to say huge issue for me because it makes it sound like it's like oh it's my pet thing it's like yeah. you know I'm I'm trying to you know I also rescue large <laughs> large reptiles you know or whatever it it's it's you know the issue that I'm sort of most conscious of you know okay. and uh I'm 
carry it with me, you know, I, I on a day-to-day basis. Just like know? on all your practical decisions? Uh, I from... try to. I try to, right? Uh, you know, I try to, you know, lower my carbon footprint, right? Because I because it's it's such a, a, a freight train that is hurtling down towards us. Or, yeah, and we're in the middle of it now, you know, just in, uh, you know, you can't live in California and not, you know, be aware right. of, be aware of the effects of climate change. Yeah, you're so alluding to it with the aliens. That's like the really dumb one to, when I imagine explaining it to aliens. The yeah. overall climate change of like, you did yeah. what to your planet? Yeah. And you all yeah. know about it and you're going to yeah. continue to do it? But, you know, what we found in we did an episode called Adam Ruins Going Green about climate change. Um, and uh, what we found is that the idea that we on an individual level can prevent climate change, that if everyone just made better choices, yeah. right, we could stop climate change. If we all bought greener stuff, right, if we all cut back a little bit. We could stop climate change is completely false. Um, It's not possible to do it that way. A, because the choices available to you often, you know, the difference between them is negligible, right? Buying buying a green buying the green disposable forks versus the regular disposable forks, right, is a marginal difference, right? And in many cases, there are companies that are overselling how green the product is in order to get you to buy stuff, Where whereas buying stuff is really the problem. You okay. know, the problem is buying stuff in the first place, you know? And we talk about that in terms of electric cars. You know, everyone is so excited about electric cars. Electric cars are more efficient than regular cars. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, if... Every if if we were to snap our fingers and turn our fleet into electric cars overnight, that would be a benefit. How much of a benefit is actually you know less than we might think, you know, okay. but it would be a benefit in terms of emissions. Um, however, the degree to which any individual does a good deed by buying an electric car is. Uh, vastly oversold by the electric car industry okay. um, uh, because so much of the emissions that a car is responsible for over its lifetime come from the manufacturer of the car, right? So if you get rid of your perfectly good car and buy a new car and thus are responsible for the emissions created by the new car, yeah. right? uh, you know, you could undo all of the good that you did by upgrading the efficiency of your engine just because you bought a new car when you already had a perfectly well-working one, you know? Um, so that's, so that's like a really macro example of that, you know, um, okay. you're better off driving your, your hybrid for a lot longer, you know, yeah. which in that case, I'm like, I'll, I'll, you know, like I was kind of excited for Tesla's <laughs> to buy, to buy a model three, but then we learned this and I was like, all right, I'll drive my Prius into the ground, you know, but the more pernicious part is that on top of that, it's almost impossible for the average person to calculate the climate impact of any individual decision that they make, you know? Right. So that's that pain of wanting to make a difference in it yeah. being really ambiguous whether you are? Yes, exactly, exactly. Like, like for instance, if you were to, you know, okay, I won't buy the disposable fork. I will I will wash all of my, I will, you know, I will get a lot of metal forks and I will wash them. Stuff like that is, is you know, well, okay, so how much energy is being consumed by your dishwasher? You know, okay. like there's all of these concerns, you know, uh, okay, the metal forks, if we're, if you're going from metal forks to a plastic, well, it takes more resources to make a metal fork than a plastic one. So, you know, et cetera, like these decisions are uh, massively complicated and there is no realistic way for an individual person to actually, know, you know, know yeah. the carbon impact of anything that they do because the, because we live in this enormous web of, you know, carbon emissions. Everything that we do has a carbon footprint. Okay. And everything that we do comes from, you know, like, uh, you know, a million different sources. You know what I mean? Like there's the, the carbon inputs are so, you know, we, we go down this whole thing where it's like, okay, even if I, 
if what's the carbon footprint of a banana? Well, you know, what kind of coffee beans are being used in the coffee makers in the factory where they do the accounts receivable for the banana company? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like like that that's how complicated that it is to answer that kind of question, you right? So, um, so it's sort of incoherent to ask what could I do on a, what you know on an individual basis yeah. to stop climate change, other than to do less, right? other than to buy less and to consume less. That's really the only thing. Okay, to sit quietly at home, you can yeah. help save yeah. the earth. But there's only a That's limited amount. Nice. There's only a limited amount you can do that. Yeah. You know? Um, but you're still thinking about it I'm as still yourself thinking, as that, an individual. That's my problem. I know this, but I still carry that with me every day. Right. You know? um, and so it's a little bit of a struggle. It's a little bit of a struggle in me, you know. Uh, and our conclusion is that in the episode is that, you know, the, that we need to work together to solve the problem. You know, it has to be a national, international solution. But I can't stop myself, you know, from... Uh, still making this sort of futile effort. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about your relationship sort of with other people's truths. Sure. Because you obviously uh, have your show to pursue facts. But would you want to have Wonder Woman's lasso of truth so you could (laughs) verify whether or not people are lying to you on an individual basis in your day-to-day life? Um, That's an interesting question. I don't always look at it in terms of like the truth and lies right like yeah. like the truth as being opposed to a lie because most of the time like actual lies are very rare you yeah. know when when someone tells the truth or so when someone says something and it's untrue and they know that it's untrue in order to to gain something you know people people will often uh more often you know uh uh nudge the truth one way or the other or or uh neglect certain details or or you know look at look at the world in a certain way um uh in order to uh you know gain an advantage but um you know usually when people speak they are telling you what they think the truth is <laughs> you know what i mean yeah yeah but i think i think i got extra fascinated with it i'm a superhero fan so i've always liked wonder woman's yeah. less of truth like what a weird thing to have to just yes. be like you know tell me where the money is and throw it on somebody but i really liked the way it was presented in the movie that it was almost a uh, subtext revealer uh, there's a scene in wonder woman where uh, I, I I didn't see it because we were shooting when it came out and I and then it left the theater. I really want to see this it's, movie. It's a great movie and there's yeah. a. I'm sorry, I, I apologize. I'll spoil this tiny bit. For no, you. go ahead, please. Uh, there is a scene where a, a dashing hero is coming up with a plan to do something daring, and she puts the lasso of truth on him, and then he also blurts out, "This is a terrible idea, and we're probably going to die." <laughs> and it's a very funny moment, but it was yes. like that. Like, yeah, he wasn't saying anything untrue about yes. his actions. Yes, but he was presenting them with a bravado that was not true to what was in his soul. So (laughs) would you like something like that where you could like, uh, when you were a kid, you could have lassoed that math teacher and you would have at least maybe learned, she would have had to blurt out what was going on with her that she didn't (laughs) care to look into the truth of the zero factorial. I probably would have wanted it at the time. Now I'm a little bit more charitable to people. You know, at the time I was like, she's just is willfully ignorant (laughs) and she's just a hidebound rule follower. And, And, you know, I do still have a, a little bit of contempt for that, but you know, now I'm a little bit more like, well, come on, she's just a lady who, you know, is like teaching at a high school. Like she doesn't, yeah. even, she doesn't even want to know math, but it's her job. Like, you know what I mean? So I wouldn't want to humiliate her with the lasso. You know, okay, I mean? uh, I'm not vindictive about it. You know, I, I, I have a. You know, I do have a fundamental belief that, like, every, you know, I'm one of those people who believes, like, everyone's everyone's doing their best. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, they really are doing 
they really are doing the best. I think I think the world as we see it is this is the best that we could do so far, you know? Yeah. You know, I want to help encourage us to do even better, but I, I don't necessarily need to, you know, shame individual people. <laughs> okay. I wish I had something that, that um, let me uh, see the causes and effects and context for specific situations and phenomena, <laughs> you know what I mean, and their but and their history. But a lasso, okay. Yes, but a lasso. So a lasso could, of consequence, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I so I could lasso. What would I want to lasso? You know, I could lasso this this microphone, and I would learn a lot about how microphones work. Oh, that's that's a dumb example, but you, yeah. But it sounded like you wanted to be able to maybe look toward uh, the future of bad decisions, like if somebody is yeah. is. Making a decision out of an incorrect fact, mm-hmm. like for like we were talking about death, like people making bad choices because they yeah. don't want to accept their death. Is it the idea that you would like to see like, well, in this moment, if this person is making this bad decision, where what is what are the ramifications going to be of that? Wanting to project what the future truth will be based on ignoring the truth in the moment? I th- uh, yeah, th- that sounds that sounds pretty close. Um, so, something that comes to mind is is you know in terms of in terms of po- in politics right now, for example, yeah. right? Um, it's so uh, heated, right? It, it's so I, I think at the very least we could describe our political situation as overheated, right? Um, and uh, my what I'd say is that my my main priority is so many people have you know the desire to. Uh, do something right they're very they're very certain about what reality is yeah. you know it's like this and they uh and and they say well things are like this so therefore we need to do that you know mm-hmm. and uh i feel that almost nobody actually understands uh what political situation we're actually in you know and the and the history of you know american politics right and the um or even often you know, when we're talking about a specific issue, you know, healthcare or whatever, right? We, the people discussing it don't even know the uh, the basics or the context of the issue itself, right? right? Or that Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act are the same thing. Well, that's a very surface level yeah. one, right? Yeah, but yes, exactly. I mean, that's that, that's one of them. But that you know, that's that's one that we can use if we really want to point out some people who are super ignorant, right? But yeah. even those who think that they are well informed are are usually not, you know, because. It's one of the most complicated things you could possibly study, you know? Yeah. And so, to me, my impulse and my interest um, and my urge is to understand it as mu- as well as I possibly can, you know? Um, and to... and. And to try to, you know, find out what is what is going on and what's <laughs> what's the, you know, what why are things why, are, you know, wh- what are the fundamentals of the issue and what are the fundamentals of our political situation? Why is it the way it is? You know, especially after, you know, the last election, I thought I understood it. You know, yeah. I, I I spent like everyone did two years, you know, reading Twitter, reading articles, you know. Uh, uh, reading history, you know, polit- American political history. Yeah, we did a whole election special on election history and on you know um, what we could learn about the candidates by looking at uh, historical examples. You know, you know, is Trump more like LBJ or is he more like George Wallace? You know, st- okay. stuff like that. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, when after election day, I was like, I I was wrong. You know, I didn't know anything about about this. Yeah, right. I mean, first of all, because I thought I knew what was going to happen, as as we pretty much. Much all did so I said from there I was like well you know what I'm gonna stop 
making, and it was something I did like we all do on Twitter, you know, I'd say, here's what I think about what's happening in the news right now. Here's what I think. Here's what I think we should do. Here's what the Democrats need to do. Here's what the Republicans need to do, yeah. you know? After Election Day, I was like, I don't know shit about, <laughs> about I don't understand the time that we live in or yeah. how we got here, you know? And so I'm going to spend... And I, and I hope I've lived up to this. I'm going to spend, you know, the next the next couple of years shutting up and stopping rather than expressing an opinion and saying, here's what I think we should do. I'm going to try to understand what's going on and how we got here. So I, so they understand the the truth about the world. Like, that's the first job that you have to do, you know. Okay. Um, and so that's my that, you know, that's my what I'm looking to get out of it. OK. And that makes sense to me because it, that uh, goes back to your your history with philosophy and mm-hmm. almost everything we talk about. It you you naturally go to the deepest level of truth <laughs> instead of the surface level. I want to get as deep as I can, you yeah. know. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, the election was hard to see the real surface levels of truth being broken. And it, yeah, it's it's such a dumb example, but it's the one that sticks in my head. Uh, of like the debate where Trump was asked about, well, you had this tweet where you said check out sex tape, and he said, no, I didn't do that. Yeah, and like, but we all literally physically saw it. Right. So when you see those, uh, granted, I know that's a real surface level one. Yes. But I feel like there has been more so than any other uh, uh, re- election in my lifetime. Yes. Such an assault on basic facts of, yeah, almost a power in I am going to change reality. Yeah. Because I just said a thing that is. In seconds, any human in the world can verify as a lie. Yeah. But I'm going to do it anyway. Do you yeah. feel like we're at a point in our culture where even basic level truth is is being assaulted? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's uh, it's a question a lot a lot of people have asked. You know, I think we um, have the uh, that was a very Trumpian response actually for me. A lot of people are saying that. A lot of people are saying. You know, I think we all sort of have the feeling that that you know facts have less. Uh, purchase than they used to, and that they and that they're, you know that that yeah. that they they don't hold on as well as we want them to. You know that we can't we can't agree on the fundamentals. Um, I don't know that I would say that human nature is any different. You know, um, in terms of people's ability to understand the truth, people's desire to learn. You know, I think that our, I think that when it comes to politics and to these certain areas of life. Um, we have gotten, uh, it's, things have gotten so, you know, insane and intense that we're no longer able to, you know, see the world as it is or have conversations about the world, you know? Right. Um, but, and I think a lot of that is because of, you know, media fragmentation and, and, uh, you know, I, I think that, and again, this is me. Trying to understand, right? I think the the story of the last ten years has been one of of immense media fragmentation, you know, and and that the um the gatekeepers and the the referees of information in America have lost all their power. Yeah, right? and that seemed really good to me, especially in the '90s and 2000s. You know, like hey, great, everyone has a voice. Yeah, how wonderful is that? And you have to think about how many. You know how many wonderful things we have because everyone has a voice. You know how many how many marginalized communities can now you know speak up where they weren't able to before right. and get their message out there. Um, and, but there's also a negative side of that. You know, and that's been what we've seen. You know that 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 uh, bad actors have been able to use that to to argue for their own interests. You know, um, and in order to uh, spread misinformation. And I'm, so I'm hopeful that the 
that the disruption that we're seeing is temporary because disruptions usually are until, you know, a new status quo forms. Um, I'm skeptical about whether the new status quo that uh, we'll have 10 years from now, maybe if it'll be better than what we had before, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that it will be, you know, I, I believe though that everybody is interested in the truth, yeah. you know, on, on a root level. Um, because our, you know, our show is, is proof of that, you know, um, our, our show gives people the, you know, the truth about things that they didn't want to know the truth about. Um, a lot of our topics are very wonky, very, uh, complicated, you know, uh, uh, stuff that's hard to hear and uh, people all over the country love it. I'm happy to say, you know, we, we, uh, toured our election special last year and, you know, we had packed houses in every state that we went to from, you know, Detroit to Texas, to Philly, to San Diego. People have that fundamental, uh, the, the desire to learn and to know the truth is, uh, a fundamentally human one. And we've gotten worse at doing it. Uh, with a few small areas of human knowledge, you know, uh, and those, uh, uh, you know, there's a there's a, a number of topics that if you say to somebody, hey, uh, I got something to, uh, hey, let me tell you something you don't know about abortion, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, anybody I say that to in America, they're they're immediately gonna say, oh, I know about abortion. Let me see if he's gonna tell me what I think, and yeah. if he doesn't, I know I'm got an argument. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're not able to. To to hear that uh, uh, pe- people aren't willing to be challenged on those topics. So you um, and so we avoid those uh, strategically. We avoid sort of these fault lines, and we try to get people back in the habit of thinking critically and searching for the truth by doing every other topic that we can, and occasionally skirting close to some hot button ones. You know what okay. I mean? But um, that that's my strategy. It has been for the last three years. And you know, I'm hoping it's working all right. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it is, and that seems like a good uh, a good perspective to have that that humans fundamentally want the truth, but we're yes. gonna throw up some barriers, so you have to really find the right way in. Yes, which kind of goes back to your uh, origins of liking to share things at a party. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it feels like your show is like a like you found a very good way to say well, actually, to the world. <laughs> <laughs> That's that is what I do try to do. Awesome. We're going to move on to our how obsessed are you questions. Sounds great. So these are questions that I ask all my guests or different variations of them uh, just to see uh, how obsessed different people are. Do you think about the truth every day? <laughs> yeah, I, w- I mean, I guess that's so basic of a thing <laughs> to, think, to think. It's like that's like asking, like, do you think about geometry every day? Like, I guess I guess in the fact that I interact with shapes, yeah. you know, like, uh, yeah, I would I would say that I do. I, I always you know, I, I mean, I look something up on Wikipedia multiple times a day. So yeah. I would I would say that, yes, you know, I when, when I when I encounter things, I often have the thought, why is that that way? I want to find out. And I go and I go try to find it out. Okay, and you, I mean, obviously that was going to be a part of your life, even if this awesome TV show never coalesced. Yes. It yeah. was going to be a part of your life. You would have been looking at milk in the grocery store and saying, like, is 2% really 2%? I just thought that's the way that I was, you yeah. know, and, and I didn't think that it was a, anything I could do anything with until I, I suddenly hit upon combining it with comedy. I was just doing comedy, and I was that way, you Okay, know? so it's naturally what came out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> would you cosplay as the truth at San Diego <laughs> Comic-Con? I have to... I feel like these questions are like ill suited to this topic. <laughs> yeah, but I jam them in anyway. <laughs> um, I mean, I uh, 
Yeah, but what would that look like? I guess you know. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I, to the extent, I suppose I would dress up as my own, you know, sort of heightened version of myself, uh, where you know, in yeah. the in the Adam Conover sort of quote costume, you know. Um, yeah. Well, what if somebody could make you like uh, this uh, bodysuit that was sort of like clear and glowing, <laughs> but like facts and numbers were rolling across it, just like that would undeniable be... truths all over <laughs> your body. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, just like just like scrolling like a suit of lights kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. That's not a bad idea. That actually could. Work. Work, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Would, so you'd be up for that? Why not? <laughs> okay. Uh, would you fight about the truth with a loved one <laughs> at a holiday dinner? Um, I mean, avoid doing it at a holiday dinner. Um, but yeah, probably. I mean, you know, I, I certainly certainly have gotten into an argument or two. You know what? I would because my mom is a real. Um, you know, uh, she's is that thing where you know moms become conspiracy theorists. Yeah. You know. Um, I don't know what it is about moms, but they reach a certain age and they all, and they just and they just become they become conspiracy theorists and uh, she'll just bring uh, you know she'll just like toss out you know wild accusations about like well I think that they're, they're owned by the Chinese you know like okay well why why do you think that and. Why would it trouble you if they yeah. were? You know, it's like those sorts of questions that I now that I'm in my 30s ask a little bit more uh, uh, diplomatically. But uh, so at this point, they the, can't break you, and we're to the point where your mom is just like, or you say to your mom, "That's ridiculous." You, I don't. You start with the question. I try to be more. I try to be more polite. My, okay. The rest of my family say, "Mom," you know. <laughs> I try to be like, "Okay, mom. All right. Well, um, you know." Uh, but uh, we do have those sorts of fights on. <laughs> <laughs> at the holidays okay. for sure. So, do you feel as a uh, uh, perpetuator of the truth? Do you feel like that uh, one-on-one family conversation is necessary? Like mm. your like your show is trying to get people to it, it's finding a graceful, funny way to get people to think about things so that right. they can come to their own acceptance of these truths in their own yeah. time. Do you feel like dinner with your family is an okay to time? To do the same thing, to not like, not try to change somebody's mind, but just say like, hey, I know you don't like this kind of person, but you know what? I actually met this kind of person. I thought they were pretty great. No, I'm not saying, that's all I'm saying. I just that, introduce the idea of truth. I think that's a, yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, you want to make sure that, you know, people uh, don't feel attacked when they do it, you right. know? Um, I think something that helps our show is that one thing that makes me really happy is that is that people will tell me hey my, my family watches the show together you know oh nice i really love that cuz you know our show's on at 10 p.m. at night on basic cable i thought it would be a show just for adults or college humor fans you know it was originally a college humor series um and it turns out you know kids and their parents you know like yeah. people come to our live shows and say like yours is the only show that we you know that my son will watch with me you know etc so i i like that because then if we uh they also say we you know, we talk about the topics on the show after we watch it. Ah, uh, um, nice. And and so I think that's a really productive conversation because even if they have a disagreement, it's filtered through me. And they say, I don't like what Adam said. I think he was wrong or whatever, you know, versus if you say directly to your mom when you're 15 years old, hey, mom, I think I think you're full of shit, you know, or whatever. <laughs> I, and you're like, now, you know, I'm you know, people get defensive more. So I think um, I, I that I think our show hopefully helps enable those conversations. Um, but, you know, I yeah, I also think that, like. Uh, it's good for people to uh, to challenge each other yeah. and to and to have conversations in their in their daily lives. It's a funny push and pull with your family because with your own family, like more than with other people, you say, "I'll I'll let it go." Yeah, you know, I was like, "Okay," like you, you know, mom's a conspiracy theorist, but I'm not gonna, 
You know, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Does, uh, it, does it make you happy to think of that same 15-year-old kid instead of saying, I think you're full of shit, Mom, have him say, like, I saw this funny comedian on TV named Adam, and he says you're full of shit, Mom. I think that, that helps. Does I that think make that you helps. proud? Yes, it does. It does. <laughs> I mean, people, you know, kids will tweet at me and say, I told, you know, um, kid tweeted at me and said, uh, we had a whole thing on Christopher Columbus. You okay. Know, um, uh, the real history of Christopher Columbus. And, and he was like, I told uh, the teacher... Uh, you know, in history class about what you said about Christopher Columbus and we had a fight and I won. <laughs> and I'm like, I love that. I love, I love that, that we helped kids do that. That's awesome. Uh, speaking of kids, uh, my next How Obsessed Are You question, would you name a child Truth? <laughs> I mean, I guess in LA that wouldn't be too weird of a name. <laughs> For for what you know, white kids have weird names now in LA. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm sure there's already probably some some little truths running around yeah. at, at the at the daycare centers in Silver Lake. Some justices, yeah, yeah, sure. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little it's a little iffy, you know, yeah. <laughs> of a name, but yeah, you know, I, I probably it's a little on the nose for me. Yeah, a little on the nose. Veritas, would you? Veritas. <laughs> Well, now, if I could say, hey, about Vera, and then Vera is short for Veritas, but only I know that. Oh, nice. You know what I mean? you got to do something like that, where it's like, it's got a meaning to you, (laughs) but not to everybody. Cool. Would you have a truth-themed birthday party? (laughs) People would be like, oh, my God, he's really bringing his work home with him. (laughs) He themed his birthday party after his own. Yeah, no, probably not. Yeah. Yeah, this is a really fascinating obsession to talk about, because (laughs) it is so your career, and so very publicly your career. It's not even like you're quietly doing truth science somewhere. Uh, yeah. So. I mean, I try to, you know, I, I try to bring these, I try to live my life by these topics as well as, as best as I can. So yeah. if I knew something about birthday parties, you know, I would, uh, uh, I, I've been known, uh, you know, I can't hear the, I can't sing the happy birthday song without thinking about the history of the happy birthday song. You know what <laughs> okay. I mean? So I'd bring that up at a birthday party. Do you know, you know about the, you know the thing about how the, how it's a copyright, right? And, and, yeah. and uh, you can't sing it on TV or stuff like that. Um, can I tell you this? I love oh, yeah, this story please. so much. I love this story so much. We should do it on the show at some point. So, so a lot of people know that is is that it's is that it's uh, copyright. I think there's like a rumor that like Paul McCartney or Michael Jackson holds a copyright. I'm not <laughs> sure that's true. It's just owned by a big music company. You know? Okay. Uh, these documentarists, these documentarians, documentary filmmakers were making a documentary about the history of the Happy Birthday song, um, and they looked into it and they found that the song was not in fact written by the woman whose name is on the page that, like, the oh, music really? company copyrighted, right? It was written by, uh, there was a different woman who wrote the words, the song, the the tune predated that, yada, yada, yada. And then this one particular woman, very late, you know, said, oh, I'm going to combine these and republish it, et cetera, right? And so basically what's happening is the provenance of this, it, it makes it clear that, it was not, in fact, an original composition by a single person. Right. Um, and the original compositions predate the public domain cutoff, right? Like, like you know, before it's before like 1920 or something like okay. that. Anything is public domain. Um, uh, but this music company has been asserting that they have a copyright. And um, uh, based on this false you know, document that says that this woman wrote it when she yeah. in fact did not. And then they've been suing people, you know, and collecting billions, I think, uh, at this point of royalties wow. based on this song. And these documentaries found this out and they sued the music company 
on the grounds that they that this was a false copyright. And I believe last I heard that they won. Um, so they said, you know, these are people who, you know, not that many people give that much of a shit about intellectual property rights, but the people who do are a little bit persnickety about yeah. it, you know. And um, they they uh, sued the company for doing this. And this was essentially a large corporate, I, I forget which music company, it's one of the big ones, okay. Warner Brothers, something like that, that had been uh, uh, essentially engaging in like intellectual property theft by falsely asserting a, a, a false copyright for, for decades and decades and decades and collecting billions of dollars on it. And... Um, um, I believe that these filmmakers actually got the Happy Birthday song returned back into the public domain. I forget if the company had to pay anything, but it's an incredible yeah. story. Um, I got to see that documentary. They made it. <laughs> go look up their documentary. Probably Google Happy Birthday song documentary, and you'll find it. Cool. So you would have a birthday party where you could joyfully <laughs> sing that song and just flip off the music companies. Yeah. Uh, just a couple more How Obsessed Are You questions. Sure. If you were confronted by a large, angry bear... And the only way to avoid fighting the bear was lying to it. <laughs> Would you just blatantly lie to the bear? Yeah, I think so. I mean, as long <laughs> as it wasn't, you know, I, I, as long as I didn't have to, um, you know, as long as I wasn't hurting the bear's life too much by doing it or, you know, having to say anything too terrible. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, you know, that's, that, that's not, it's less about honesty at every individual moment than it is, you know, knowing, knowing the world as it is. Yeah. You know? So it's much more for you about the, the truth of the world than always telling the truth. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But if, but if I was to, if, uh, the question were more like, if there was a, if, if there was a hungry bear coming for you and it was going to kill you no matter what you did. Would you want to know about it or not? Oh, okay. And yeah. I would want to know about the bear. Okay. And that is, and that I think is is my fundamental my fundamental value is that is that I think you should always know the truth. We we had a funny we had such a funny conflict in our writers room because we did an episode about the history of Santa Claus and it wasn't Santa Claus isn't real you know right. it was just that we're doing the history of Santa Claus. Um, and like where Santa Claus came from, right. where the idea came from. And um, one of our writers was like, this is a little upsetting to me because I was very upset when I found out that Santa Claus wasn't real. I don't want other I don't want kids. He was concerned about, you know, kids seeing the show, okay. finding out Santa Claus wasn't real and, and, you know, being emotionally hurt by that. Yeah. And I was like, I couldn't give less of a shit. Yeah. If those kids like good. I want them to find out that Santa Claus wasn't real. Like, I, when I found out that Santa Claus wasn't real, I was like, yeah, we weren't really all believing this, were we? Like, I mean, yeah. like, uh, it's a story. Like, it's, I, I was not, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I, I was like, good, my parents can stop trying to get up earlier than me on Christmas morning. Yeah. That, because so that, I know they are. Yeah. And, and I, I think, like, look, I don't vindictively go out and tell kids, <laughs> you know, because it's not that important whether right. or not they know Santa Claus isn't real. I'm not like, I don't think it's my duty to tell kids that Santa Claus isn't real, right? But, like, if a kid accidentally sees the show, you know, it's a show, again, it's not at 10 p.m. at night, you yeah. know, like, um, so it's not even at a kid's time slot. Um, if a kid accidentally sees it, finds out Santa Claus isn't real, well, good. Now the kid knows. I, I don't feel bad about that. If they're a little upset about it, well, it's fine. Fine. Sometimes the truth is hard to learn. But you're better off knowing the truth. You're always better off knowing yeah. the truth. So would you, along with that bear question then, if somebody was able to just walk in here and say, I can download to your brain the, what's going to happen to you in the rest of your life. <laughs> would you want that truth? I believe so, yeah. I okay. mean, I, I guess it would be a little bit less surprise. I mean, I, you know, 
Now we're getting the question is like spoiler alert grounds. You know what I mean? <laughs> like like, spoilers, like yeah. do you want to find out like the truth about what happens on Game of Thrones? I don't watch Game of Thrones, but do you want to find out the truth about what happens at Game of Thrones? Um, well, yeah, but I want to find it out by watching the show, not okay. by having you tell me right now. So maybe I would say, hey, I would prefer to learn the truth about my life step by step rather than all at once. Right. But, you know. Um, but if the bear is right around the corner, let me know. Yeah, but. But hey, yeah, I also might just take the bet. Yeah, do you want to know exactly what happens to you? Hey, I'll tell you the bullet points of your life right now when you'll die. I, uh, yeah, sure. Cool. If every time you told the truth, your nose got longer like an <laughs> opposite Pinocchio, <laughs> would you still want to tell truths? Well, now that's really a fucked up question, man. <laughs> it really because, is. <laughs> because that's like, I don't know. It's like, hey, you're, you know. Uh, Hey, let let me ask you, that thing you do for a living, what if I gave you a mild shock every time you did it? Would you still do it? Well, I don't know. That sucks. Why would you do that to me? Uh, I I find that uh, this is a jerk question is an acceptable answer to that question. I mean, I would certainly be disincentivized from living out my life's passion, you know, like, um, you know, what if, what if every time you got a boner, you know, you got stabbed with a, with an ice pick? Oh God. Well, I would. Can I I use that uh, for future episodes? (laughs) I would be upset to, I mean, I wouldn't like getting boners as much, but I still wouldn't be thrilled with you. Yeah. I really, yeah. So, I mean, what I like about asking these questions is that I ask variations of them to everybody and I like pushing because sometimes it's people that are just like, I don't know, I really like chocolate cake. And like yeah. <laughs> that's one level of obsession. Your yeah. obsession is really wanting to know yeah. the truth of the yes. universe, which you've wanted since a child. It's a little different than yes. uh, randomly liking you know a TV show. Um, I asked everybody to make a noise to sum up their obsession. What noise can you make to sum up your obsession with the truth? Oh, boy. Hmm. <laughs> 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 huh. 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 Oh, questioning sounds like that. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, I really liked the range of those noises. From oh, that's an, that's a fun little fact too. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to reconsider some shit. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Hmm. Huh. Uh, so I rate people's obsession on yeah. a random scale of one to seven. One being the lowest and seven being the highest. Yeah. Where do you think you fall? Where do I think I fall? I guess I would say. I mean, I would. Uh, you know, I. Uh, I imagine that six and seven would start to be like, you know, seriously like unhealthy probably. Like, you know, like you're not sleeping well yeah. and stuff like that. And and so I try to get it. So I'll say a five, you know, just, just just in terms of like how much like I'm, you know, literally devoting like every moment of my daily life. You know what I mean? I still I still can go on a run every now and again. You know what I right. mean? Right. Of course, I listen to a podcast uh, about – Right now, I'm listening to one about nuclear weapons while I go on a run, but um, uh, uh, but you know, I keep the blood pumping. Yeah, but I, uh, but I think if yeah, so uh, yeah, so I'll say. If, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I I would go as high as is six. I reserve seven for like <laughs> uh, maybe maybe you should talk to someone who's not a comedy podcaster. Yeah, uh, but I think it is so ingrained in uh, not only your life but like just the way you look at life, and that yeah. to me like ranks you up higher. Of you could never. This isn't something you could ever stop. Yeah. Because if you crashed on a desert island, you would be like, "Yeah, why is the the tide moving that exactly. way? I want to know." It's, like it's always going to be with you. Yeah, yeah. It's less of a. It, it's. I mean, obsession. It's almost just like an overall life stance, and yeah. and uh, like fu- like 
you know, it's like as fundamental me as like the lenses in my eyeballs, you know? Yeah, yeah, cool. Is there anything besides uh, the show itself that you'd like to plug? Any social media presence or shows coming up? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, on Twitter at Adam Conover. Uh, I stream video games on uh, twi- at Twitch, oh, Twitch yeah. twitch.tv slash Adam Conover. Uh, which is my my favorite social media right now. I sort of sort of backed off of Twitter because Twitter. I don't know if you know Twitter. Um, it's not good anymore. Uh, so uh, kind of it's very intense. Kind of sucks now. Yeah, it's very intense. Uh, remember when? Remember when people used to make jokes on Twitter? It was like, <laughs> hey, what a great place to make jokes. And now it's now it's not. Um, Here's a thread on why jokes are bad. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, so. Uh, uh, yeah, those are those are the uh, yeah those are things, and we got a uh, uh, you know new episodes of Adam Ruins Everything every Tuesday at ten, starting again on September nineteenth. We got eight more coming out. Awesome, that's great. Here's some quick plugs for this show, and then we'll do our final questions. You can follow me on Twitter, <laughs> and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook is at Obsessed Podcast. Also, you can check out my pop culture station on Anchor called Head Cannon. And for info on all my upcoming shows and comedy albums and stuff, you can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com. You can also support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month, you get access to our monthly patron-only bonus episode where I talk with my wife, Sarah, about something we are obsessed with. For full info on that, go to patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. All right, so final questions. Don't have anything to do with your main topic, but they can if you want. Sure. If you had a little door in your house <laughs> that magically opened to a different place, where would that place be? Wait, can I go through the door? Yeah. Okay. It's like, not that little. I think, little? I think I just put little in. It's a flourish. A little. <laughs> it's not a t- like a mouse door. How An little? atom-sized door. Yeah. Fictional or or non-fictional? Yeah, anywhere. I'm really uh, uh, Steven Universe is my favorite show oh, okay. on TV. Yeah, and and I would really like to go to. I mean, God, that color palette. You know, it's just like <laughs> I just look at that show and it's just like I just feel so relaxed and like you know a child when I watch that yeah. show. And and so you know, I would just love to like open the door and just like look at the beach. You know, yeah, on just that see show. the color palette of Steven yeah. Universe. Oh God, there. I'm kind of getting a little weepy just like thinking about it. That show really fucking affects me. Yeah, it's powerful. Yeah. If you could replace one part of your body with a bionic body part, oh. what part would it be and what would it do? You know, I mean I guess I guess augmenting you know, augmenting human intelligence is a really is a really powerful idea. I think oh, it's yeah. I think it's very um I don't I don't put much stock in its possibility, you know. I think people who say, "Oh, you can upload your brain into a computer," like that idea is like a fundamental misunderstanding of the brain. Yeah. And and of the mind and what consciousness is, you know what I mean? Um, and you literally wrote a paper on that. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, if there was a way to do that uh, transmutation in in a way that sort of increased, you know, our our mental powers, I think that would, yeah, I think that would probably be the thing that would be most attractive to me. Other than that, you know, eyes maybe maybe get get some kind of heads up display. Yeah. I think you are being really consistent with your obsession of truth. Like, what, what? You don't want to hand to crush things. You want a bionic brain to think better and bionic eyes to see things more clearly. Yeah, I would say so. I guess the, I guess the heart could help you live longer. No, yeah, yeah. yeah I think it, no, I think it's those two that I said. Yeah. I think that's great. Bionic eyes and bionic brain. The final question for everyone on the podcast is: What is happiness? Ooh, what is happiness? Well, that's really good. Um, man, when people come in and talk about Doctor Who, they must really get thrown for a loop by that. Huh? They're like, oh, Jesus Christ. They do get surprised. But to me, <laughs> Doctor Who is one of the things that makes me happy. So it's a, a very self-repeating answer then. Mm, that's, uh, I mean, wow. It's <laughs> a hard question to answer. I mean, again, we're just talking about philosophy. That's, yeah, you know, that's a, people have, that's, a, that's you know, literally, you know, Socrates is... Uh, 
a question. What is what is the good? Um, but you're often striving in your show and clearly in your own personal life philosophy yeah. to having the truth so you can make better choices, which in theory would lead to happiness. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think... Yeah, it's it's interesting. I I think I don't seek out the truth because it makes me happy per se. Um, I think it's a good it's a good in itself. Uh, that, that's the way I'd put it in in philosophical terms. Is, is I guess I would believe that it's. Uh, I I would argue, uh, you know, maybe maybe I wouldn't win an argument if someone had a better counter argument. But that but that you know, knowledge of the truth is is uh, is a fundamental good in itself. The question is if happiness is is equally a fundamental good right you know yeah. um i feel pretty fortunate to be a a generally pretty happy person yeah you know uh you know even when i've been in worse situations i've i've uh still been i've still been pretty happy i think that's kind of a lucky thing you know i i uh i think the harsh truth about happiness this is just to venture a theory yeah is that it's not something that you can attain so much, you know, I, I think there's a, a large degree to which, you know, you sort of have a set point at a person as a person in terms of happiness. Obviously, yeah. if you're if you're um, you're hungry or you're, you don't have shelter or you don't have comfort or you're lonely. Right. Those are things that can make you unhappy. Yeah. Right. But there are a lot of people who get all of those things and are still unhappy, you know. Yeah. And uh, there are a lot of people I know who in my own life who, you know, have all the things I do, you know, have all of those, you know, we're all the way up there on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know what I mean? They're self-actualized. They got their own, their, their creative wishes are being fulfilled, right? They're, they're, they've created a TV show or they're whatever. That's, that's the top that you can get, you know, in the hierarchy of needs. You got everything taken care of and they're still unhappy, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and they search, for hap- and that's all that they have left to do is they search for happiness. You know, they go meditate and they do everything else. And yeah. and I love doing those things too. But they'll start saying things like, "Oh, you'll just there's no such thing as happiness, is there? You're just, you know, consigned to be miserable." You know. Yeah. Um, and when I when I talk to those people, I do have the thought of like, "Wow, I I guess I'm just lucky to not feel that way." You know, what is it about you that makes you feel that way? And makes me not feel that way? It's like something something in us uh, biologically, perhaps. You okay. know, um, a, as like a set point, you know. And so, you know, part of the harsh truth about happiness might be that it's not something that you can attain it's just how happy you are is is something about you you yeah. know is, is is there's a certain extent to which it's just the way that you're built uh you know maybe you can shift it one way or the other but we all have different set point you know, you yeah. know the concept of a set point where like this is your default and you can go up by 10 you can go down by 10 and that's it and that's it you know but if someone else has a set point they've got a different range you know what i mean maybe, yeah. their, maybe their low point is just a little bit lower than your high point you know etc um, so that uh, that might be the case. I don't know if that's actually the case. I've you know I've heard whisperings of like research about like how how happiness doesn't change as much as we think it does. Um, but that may be the case. It might be the wa- the wrong word to the wrong word to seek. <laughs> yeah, I think that's <laughs> you know? definitely a possibility. But you feel like your set point is like allows you to be fair, go fairly high on happiness. Yeah. So you're not consumed with the search for it. Yeah. So given that you have uh, ability to be happy. Yeah. What are your happiest moments where you're like, where you're a conscious of like, wow, 
what a great day. Is it? Did <laughs> did the episode kill and now you're at home streaming <laughs> your favorite game and you're just like looking around going, wow, happy. It's so funny because it really is. Uh, well, if you're talking about that, that sort of happiness on a moment to moment level, yeah. you know, it really, yeah, it depends on what else you're doing that day. You know, like when I'm shooting our show, the, yeah, often, you know, it's 12 hour days on location. It's really exhausting. Yeah. The happiest I am is like, my God, tonight I have a free hour and I can play video <laughs> games for the first time all week, yeah. you know? And that's like the best that I'm going to feel. But I used to do that. When I didn't have a TV show every <laughs> night, and I wasn't that happy about it, you know, yeah. I would associate. I used to associate playing video games with like I played them the most when I was the most depressed, you yeah. know, um, because it was a salve for that wound, um, for that for that bad feeling. Um, yeah, uh, it, so it changes day to day. I try to when I'm in the process of making our show or doing something that I find deeply satisfying about the show. I try to find moments to appreciate that and okay. to. Uh, you know, pay attention to that so I can I can look at it and say, my God, this really is incredible, isn't it? You know, so yeah. like like on set, for example, when we're on set, it's incredibly stressful. It's really a chore. It's it's so you know, it's the kind of place where you're just like trying to make it through the next shot. You know, we shoot twelve hours a day. I'm in every shot. And I'm just waiting for the next break. You know, yeah. And and so I'm very much on autopilot. You know, like just sort of a break, and then I'll just look at my phone for a second. I can sit down and not have to do anything for a moment. Um, but then I try to find moments where I look around and I say, my God, this is, you know, we've got, we've got, you know, 50 to a hundred people here on set. Everyone is doing a different job. Everyone cares so deeply about what they're doing and is such a talented, skilled artist. And they're all doing it in order to bring, you know, this thing that we all create created together to life. Um, how exceptional is that experience? You know? And so I try to, I try to allow my heart to swell in those moments so I can, I can be happy about that specifically, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I think that's very important. I think those are all great answers and, and it, <laughs> fitting of you of a thoughtful philosophical person to go from everything from the predetermined biology of it to <laughs> the conscious moments of choosing it. <laughs> yeah, it's both it's both things, right? I mean, so often our words that we use for a concept are not at all uh, commensurate with the with the varieties of that thing. Yeah. You know, and you say, what is happiness? Well, are, are we talking about, you know, overall set contentment? Are we talking about moment to moment joy? You know, and how do we get those things and how do we think about those things? And, you know, that's the project, right? Yeah. Is to, <laughs> is to find the, out those answers. The search for truth. Yeah. And happiness. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Hey, I thank, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Joseph. I had a great time. Awesome. That is our podcast. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. Obsessed.